Church, today we're going to start a, a brand new series called Reasons for the Season. It's a Christmas series that I want to start today and build up all the way to Christmas Day as we look at the importance of the birth of Jesus and the significance of this season that we call Christmas. And I really just want to give it the, the time and attention that it really deserves. Right? I think it deserves more time and attention than just one message on Christmas Day. And so I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles this morning and, and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bibles or your cell phones or your iPads, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And while you're doing that, church, and as you think about the Christmas season, it is my hope that Christmas... And its truest meaning is something that is central to your thinking right now. As you look around and you drive around town and you see all the, the Christmas lights and the decorations in people's homes or at the mall, you know, the things that make it so obvious that we're in the season. Having said all of that, you would still know deep down in your heart that there is so much more to it than just the colorful lights or the Christmas carols, or the gifts that you're going to receive on, on Christmas Day. And look, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm grateful for that stuff. I, I like receiving gifts, you know. I'm not knocking it. It's a joyous time of the year, and it gives us the opportunity to say to other people, we say Merry Christmas, right? We don't say Happy Holidays. We don't say seasons greetings or enjoy the festive season we say as christians we say merry christmas by the way just for effect and because we can let's say together on the count of three one two three merry christmas and listen you don't have to say to merry christmas to people only on christmas day you say it throughout the season because we are celebrating something amazing through the season some of you are probably wondering if it's still legal to say it. But illegal or not, we're going to say it because this holy day that we celebrate, if we consider the magnitude and the magnificence and the message of Christmas, it is something that transcends you and I. And that's what I want us to consider as we, we go through this season and as we go through this series together. So let's read... 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And this will be one of our key Christmas verses for this year. It says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in to glory and from this verse church we're going to look at several things over the course of the next two to three weeks as we consider Jesus Christ at the center of our Christmas and there's a couple of key words at the beginning of this verse that I, I want us to have a look at first as we set a foundation for today and for this series if somebody were going to ask you during this Christmas season What's the big deal about Christmas? What would your answer be? 
And that's what we're going to discover through these foundational truths that are all impregnated in this fantastic verse. So the first key word that I want you to see is the word without controversy. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying that's two words, but it's only one word in the Greek, and it's the Greek word homologimenos. It's a bit of a strange sounding word, but it's homologimenos, and it means in open and full awareness. It means it must be admitted. It can also be translated beyond all question or all doubt. So if we were going to be speaking very casually, we would say it is beyond all question or beyond all doubt that great is the mystery of godliness. So when we see these words without controversy, it very simply means this. And I love how, the, how God throws this in the face of the world. It means that you can argue about it all you want. You can deny it. You can debate it. You can even refuse it to your own peril. But it's a fact. It's obvious. It's an obvious statement that he's making. The second key word is the word great. It's the Greek word megas, and it means without number. It means astonishingly abundant. It means surpassing. And church, what it's basically saying is that it is humanly impossible for us to put into words or to begin to try and assign a value to this great mystery of godliness. Thirdly, the word mystery is the Greek word mysterion. And it means something that is hidden from you. And this is important, church. It means something that has always existed but has been hidden from view. And in context of this verse, something that has always been there but only now been revealed. Let me give you an analogy this morning. I remember a, a couple of months ago, just after lockdown, I needed to get out of Johannesburg because I'm sure a lot of you felt like you needed to get out of town when, when lockdown was up. So I decided to go, to go and do one of my favorite hikes at the Southern Drakensberg. It's called the Rhino Peak Challenge. It's a very challenging hike. It's 25 kilometers that you do in a day. It takes you about 10 hours. And you climb in a, probably about 2.1 kilometers in elevation. Very tough hike, but the views that you see on the way up there and when you get up to the summit is absolutely breathtaking. And on a clear day, you can usually see the Rhino Peak from about 15 to 20 kilometers all the way around because it just stands up and, and points up into the sky. It looks like a rhino horn. That's why they call it the Rhino Peak. But the day that I did the challenge, the day that I did the hike, it was covered in a cloud of mist. It takes about half the day to get up, and I could see all the beautiful sights along the way. I could, I could see the animals. I could even hear the baboons in the distance that were barking at me. Right? But I just, and every time I turned to look at the peak, I just couldn't see. It was clouded. I couldn't see it. But the guards kept on telling me, they kept on reassuring me, don't worry, when it breaks, you'll see it. And so by faith, we kept on and we kept on going. And eventually, the, the thick cloud of mist broke and suddenly, you could see the majesty of God's creation pointing and, and reaching up into the sky far and above everything else. 
And church, let me tell you something. Mysterion, this word, it's, it means that it's always there. The mountain is always there, but there's something shrouding it. The clouds are shrouding the mountain, but just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. And God's word is telling us that whatever he's about to reveal to us at Christmas, the reality of the one to be born has always been there. It's just at a certain time, God chose to move the clouds and reveal it to us. And the fourth and final key word is the word godliness. It's the Greek word eusebia, and it means the divine practice and appropriate beliefs of God. It means purity or, or piety. It means God-likeness. So remember, we're going to put this together. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And that's a solid foundation for where I believe the Lord wants to lead us throughout the Word today and throughout this series. So in verse 16, we carry on where it says, God was manifest in the flesh. This is why, church, this is why Jesus came at Christmas. He was manifest in the flesh. Church, just grab your arm for a moment. Take your arm. Just grab it. Give it a bit of a squeeze. Give it a bit of a pinch. This, this flesh, this human, God-determined structure of flesh is absolutely remarkable, isn't it? Do you know how fearfully and wonderfully you are made? But when you think about it, church, you and I are so accustomed to this skin in which we dwell. This is our home, so to speak. It's all we've ever known, this, this flesh. We know how it feels. We, we know what hurts. We know what makes us feel good. And we know that we are prone to certain things about our flesh. But the amazing thing this morning, church, is that the Bible announces that at Christmas, God would be born into this flesh. Just think about this for a moment. Think about the scientific structure of all of this. That the God of all creation, the God that created the universe, the God that created science, the God that created you and I in this biological, miraculous thing called life, the Bible says that God came in the form of human flesh and took upon himself this body. God would become like us. And so when you look at this verse, it says, God was manifest in the flesh. What a magnificent thing. And church, this is Christmas. Because no other religion can make this announcement. No other religion can make this claim. Buddhists can't say this. right? Hinduism doesn't have this. Islam can't claim this. New Age meditation and spiritualism and worship in the universe doesn't have this. They don't get that God would manifest Himself in the flesh. And church, that word manifest, please write it down. Because it's not only one of our cornerstones of our series, but it's, it's just so amazing in this context. Just listen to what it means. Manifest means to take what was invisible and make it visible. It means to take what was shrouded and to make it clear. To make or to take what is hard to know and to make it knowable. 
And that's God's word to us at Christmas. That God would be revealed in the flesh. He manifested himself in the flesh. Why? So that God would be known to us. So that his mysteries would be revealed. He came, the Bible says, and in several ways he came to manifest himself. We see this firstly to manifest his nature to us. What's the big deal about Christmas? Well, for one, God came to manifest his nature to you and I. The Bible says in, in John chapter 14, verses 6 to 7, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and see him. Are you listening to this church? Verses 8 to 10 say, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, he does his works. Church, you know what this verse means? The nature of Jesus Christ, being born into this world, manifested to mankind, the nature of God, you know what this means? It means that whatever Jesus said, you don't have to guess what the Holy Spirit would say. It means that whatever Jesus says, you don't have to guess what God the Father would have to say. This is so important, church, because as Christians, sometimes we have the wrong view of, of the Godhead. We'd like to relate to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit on, on certain matters, but when it comes to the Father, you know, maybe not so much because He's just too terrifying. Or perhaps for you, it's the other way around, depending on, on the way that you've, you've been brought up or certain things you've experienced in life. But let me tell you this morning, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What one says, says all, and what one does, does all. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus. That's exactly what he said to John. What, that's what exactly he said in John chapter 14. He turns to his disciples and he says to them, If you want to know what the Father is like, I'm expressing to you the very nature of the Godhead. You don't have to guess. The very person of God is Jesus Christ, seen, heard, touched, felt, and contemplated by men. Jesus revealed the very nature of who God is. He was manifest in the flesh to show, show us how God thinks, how God acts, and how God would show His grace, His mercy, and His love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have revealed concerning the word of life. Church, John is talking about Jesus here. He's saying the one who was from the beginning. We have heard his words, we have seen him with our eyes, and we have even touched him. 
verses 2 to 3 go on to say that the life was manifested. There's that word again. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Church, this is vitally, vitally important. The invitation to know Christ personally would not happen if He did not come in bodily form. Can someone say amen? Amen. It says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. That implies in bodily form. So if any of your friends or if you have any questions about the deity of Jesus, mark this verse down. Because Colossians chapter 1 verse 90 tells us that housed in Jesus Christ, having been born into this world, would be the very presence of God. That in the fullness Christ represented and was in fact God seen among men. And this is backed up over and over again in Scripture, church. There's even prophecies in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, or God among us, right? God was among us. Just that's incredible, and that's why we say Merry Christmas. Because it symbolizes something far greater than we can even begin to comprehend. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it. C.S. Lewis, Lewis put it. said, once upon a time in our something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Amen? Can I say that again? Once upon a time in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. And his name is Jesus. The second reason why Jesus came was to manifest the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ came to manifest his nature and to manifest the kingdom of God. And church, the kingdom of God is far greater than you and I can ever begin to comprehend in our finite minds. But Jesus came to show us this. But just to give you a couple examples, let me share a few of the, the complexities mentioned about the kingdom of God in Scripture. The Bible says that it is spiritual. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is eternal but also present. It says that the kingdom of God is indwelling. It's within you, right? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is, is coming. And some of you are saying under your breath, I just wish that would, would happen very quickly, right? He says, preaching the gospel, Jesus says that the kingdom of God has come near you. And of course, Christ announced that the kingdom of God is at hand. Hallelujah. And we're living in an age right now, church, that it's becoming more and more evident that when we talk about kingdom, Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh to show us about the kingdom of God. When we talk about kingdom, 
And maybe it's because I'm, I'm getting a bit older. Maybe it's because of all the, the crazy things that are happening in our world. Maybe I'm becoming more spiritually aware. Maybe it's all of the above, I don't know. But is it just me, or is it becoming clearer to you as well, that there seems to be a very clear divide between two kingdoms in the world right now? Where it wasn't perhaps as clear before, where there were a few gray areas. It seems to me as if the shroud has been lifted and there is an obvious basic understanding of two kingdoms. More than ever before, I am aware of two kingdoms that may be in coexistence, but they are not in harmony. Because there are different views right now and, and policies and behaviors from different kingdoms that are in direct opposition to each other. Are you with me, church? There's a kingdom of darkness that is raging against the kingdom of, of, of light in our world. And don't be fooled by the politics. Don't be fooled by the violence or, or the rioting and looting on the streets or the, the nonsense rhetoric that you're hearing on the news. They are dark and brilliant. There are evil and good forces and powers behind two kingdoms that are in collision, constantly colliding right now. The Bible tells us in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And listen to this. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now I tell you, church, that is both a wonderful and terrifying statement right there. That means that you're not going to know God unless He chooses to reveal Himself to you. Verse 28 to 30 says, Come to me. Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And here it is, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to reveal at Christmas church the kingdom of God. And what I'd like to submit to you this morning is that there is a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of this world and it's destructive. It's burdensome, it's brutal and it's sinister. You see church, the world uses you. When the world puts its yoke around your neck and the world yokes up next to you, it just pulls you along its pathway of destruction. And it just pulls you, it just jerks you along in your yoke to the world. That's why the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. And that's in everything, not just in relationships. Because if God is not in the center of your relationship, if He's not in the center of your business deal, or in the center of your marriage, Things are going to be tough. And yes, there are exceptions, but they are exceptions. Because when you yoke up to the world, it, it wears you out. Jesus says, you yoke to me. I won't burden you. I'm not going to wear you out. What the world does, church, is it winks at you. It flirts with you. It is seductive toward you and makes you think that it, that it cares about you. 
But once it has its yoke around your neck, its main aim is to destroy you and to take you away from the things of God. Right? But not Jesus. Jesus basically says, you follow me, you yoke yourself to me, and you will find rest for your souls. Church, when you need strength, or you need comfort, or you, you need answers, you run to God. You yoke yourself to Jesus. Because if you yoke to the world and you say, hey world, I need help, you know what the world says? Just have a drink of this. And you say, hey world, I need comfort, I need strength, I'm, my life is falling apart, I need help. You know what the world says? Just take a snort of this. Or take some tablets to, to numb your senses. But if you turn to God and you say to God, I need help, I'm on the wrong path, I need strength, I need comfort, the one who is called Emmanuel says, here I am. Amen? You see, the world can't offer you that. It can't give you that. The third reason why Jesus came at Christmas was to manifest His message to us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, and I think this is really precious, it says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Church, do you know who wrote that? The Apostle Paul. Do you think he was lying? Do you think the Apostle Paul was a liar? Do you think he didn't believe that he was the chief of all sinners? Let me ask you this morning, how many of you have been a Christian for longer than 10 years? Raise your hands. 20 years? Keep your hands raised for those. 30 years? 40 years? 50 years and above? Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> church, listen church, the longer you walk with Jesus, the older you get, I think I agree with Paul. The more that you get to the end of your life, the more you realize that you are the chief of all sinners. And you may say, wait a minute, pastor. You mean, you say the pastor's not perfect? You mean those saints that raise their hands for, that have been at saints for 40 to 50 years, they're not perfect? They don't kind of walk on water? They don't kind of glide in and out of church and float in and out of church? You know, church, as you get older in Jesus, you may be walking closer with Him than ever before. But you know what the amazing thing is that happens? As you walk closer with Jesus, the more precious His message becomes because the more wretched you see yourself. The closer you get to Him, the more the shroud is lifted off the mountain, the more the mysteries are revealed, the more your need for salvation is highlighted. Jesus came to manifest Himself. He came to make it clear that the world would need saving. And Paul says, you know what, I've lived my life and I've discovered this awesome message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He meant it. So listen, Christians, cheer up this morning. The closer that you walk with Jesus, the more wretched you'll be and aware of your sin. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing about being yoked to Jesus. 
the reality of your salvation is intensified more and more. That when you and I cross over and get into heaven, it's going to be like this wow moment when you finally realize how much saving you actually needed. And just think about this, church. Think about the level of praise and adoration and worship there will be for Jesus when you realize the true power of His message to save sinners. And I know it's a bit of a a strange way to put it like this, but I want you to hear me out. You will want to come to Him because He saves sinners. The worst thing that you and I could do is say, I'm not going to go to Him. I'm going to cover up my sin. I'm going to disguise it. I'm going to camouflage it. I'm going to deny my sin. But when you realize, wait a minute, He is the Savior, meaning He saves. And the next logical question would be, whom does He save? And the next answer from Him is, anyone who'll come to me. And but for me to come to you would have to mean that I admit that I'm a sinner and that I need you as a Savior. Yes, that's right. You see, church, what Jesus is saying to the world at Christmas is that I've come to make the pathway to eternal life clear. I've taken away any haziness. I've taken away any confusion. I was manifest in the flesh to show you the nature of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the message of salvation unto eternal life. Wow. And as I begin to wrap up this morning, church, this is just the beginning of our series. We'll carry on next week. But before we go today, I want to challenge you to consider something. I want to challenge you to consider whether or not the significance of God incarnate, the day that God came to the world to set on course a pathway unto eternal salvation, that life-shattering and eternally significant moment, Has it impacted you to the point where you're so grateful that He's drawn you unto Him and you're running hard after Him and you'll do whatever He asks of you or are you still flirting with the world? Are you allowing the world to put its yoke on you and pull you around like the wind so that you drift off into the passions that this world offers? And I want you to really think about this. I just want to pose a question to you. As we read in Scripture earlier, church, it was the will of the Lord to draw you to Him, right? Am I right in saying that? His truth became manifest in your life. It became clear. It became obvious. And if He could do that, if He could remove that shroud, church, I'm just asking you to consider that. Don't you think He could put it back? Just a question. Because if you keep flirting with the world, Who's to say that what was so obvious about the gospel and its simple truth isn't that simple anymore? You may say, well, that's just, that's just not possible. Are you sure? Because I hear daily about Christians that are turning away from their faith. Daily. And the Bible says that in the end times, even the elect will be deceived. So I want to say with every ounce of my being, this, this structure that and body that God has given me, I want to say to you this morning, do not be deceived. Don't take for granted that at some point in your life, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, draw you, draw, drew you unto Him. Don't take for granted or don't take lightly 
the fact that God was born into human flesh, that He would live a sinless life and die on a cross and be raised up from the dead so that we could be saved from our sins. I'm pleading with you this morning, church, don't be casual about Christ this Christmas. Don't allow the simple gospel to become shrouded as the world lures you into a false sense of comfort and pleasure and worship. And let me leave you with this. What Jesus came to manifest, He came to manifest His nature, the kingdom, and His message to us. What He came to manifest, let it, let it be manifest in our lives. That it's so clear and so obvious that we are set apart. That we are not Christians that have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That, that's why I believe that the Lord has taken the shroud. Everything's becoming so clear because God doesn't want half-hearted Christians. He doesn't want double-minded Christians. He wants Christians that are falling hard after Him, that want to that wanna be pure, that want to be holy. And church, we're going to pray together this morning. But before I do that, I want to give you an invitation. If for some reason you have yoked yourself up to the things of the world, if you've allowed the, the world to put its yoke around your neck and pull you into sin and into darkness, if you become familiar with these things, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. And maybe we can all stand for a moment, if you don't mind. And I want to ask you this morning, if you have been flirting with the world, and look, we all do this to some degree or, or another, but I believe there's a time where the Lord is saying, let's stop playing games. Let's get serious about our Christian walk. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to repent. You're welcome to come and kneel in front as we pray. You're welcome to kneel even where you're sitting right now. But we're going to pray together and we're going to break these bondages. We're going to break these chains. This theme is becoming, has been coming right throughout our time together today about breaking chains, about freedom. God wants us to walk in everything that He has purposed for you and I. And so as we do that, I want those that feel that way, that feel convicted to do that. And remember, church, this message is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of redemption. Remember, we don't, see, we don't serve the condemner. We, see, we serve the redeemer. Amen. So, so come to the, to the front this morning. I'm going to give you a few moments. Come to the front. Kneel in front. Kneel by your chairs if you prefer. I'm going to give you a few moments. And while you're doing that, I want to make a, a second invitation to those that perhaps haven't heard about this God that I'm speaking about today. Or perhaps you have heard about Him, but you haven't committed your, your life and your heart to Him. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning to, to come and give your heart to Jesus. If you feel that He's drawing you to Him this morning, I want to say to you, don't waste this opportunity. Come to the front, and maybe those that want to give their hearts to the Lord, come and stand this side, and I'll, I'll pray separately with you. I'm going to give you a few moments. Maybe we can just pray softly in tongues for those. We can just prepare our hearts for what the Lord wants to say to us.
Church, I just want to say it's such a privilege to serve the one and only true God. I just believe the Lord is saying to me this morning, don't take, don't take for granted this opportunity that He's given you to be saved from your sins. Don't take it lightly. Amen. We're going to pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we, we come before you today and we are just humbled by your truth in your word. As we have contemplated how at Christmas you came to manifest yourself and make a way where there seemed to be no way. We want to thank you firstly for the price that you paid by being born into this flesh and, and dying for our sins. And that at some point in our lives, Lord, you drew us unto you and into this saving truth and grace of the gospel, without which we are doomed sinners. And today, as we remember this life-shattering and life-altering truth, we repent if in some way we have yoked ourselves up to the world and become familiar with sin and darkness. We repent for being casual about our Christian walk and where the yoke of ungodliness has attached itself to us, where we've become familiar with it, we pray that you would break that stronghold right now in the name of Jesus. We declare today that the blood has not lost its power. And so we call on the name of Jesus to break loose every bondage, every chain right now. Jesus, we declare today that you came into this world to save us from our sins. And so we acknowledge to you that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Let us keep that before our eyes as we remember, as we honor, and we celebrate you, Jesus, over this Christmas season. And I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Church, can we thank the Lord for His Word this morning? We thank the Lord for His saving grace. Amen. Where would we be without Him? We are nothing without Him. Church, we're going to say goodbye to our online community now. We have a few things that we want to do with the, the children's church and the youth. I'd like to ask Pastor Ronald to come up. But just goodbye to our online community. Have a, a blessed Sunday further. We'll see you next week. And we, we love you very much.